Look at there. I tell you what, somebody's living right. And whoever they are, they're praying for me. Amen. Because it ain't me. All right. Well, take your Bible. Go to the Song of Solomon with me tonight. The Song of Solomon. And uh, chapter 5, please. And the Lord has been speaking in my heart from the Song of Solomon the last few months. And, uh, and I thank the Lord for... Uh, for His Word and how it helps us. I thank God for this meeting. Uh, I thank the Lord for the privilege to be a part of it. Brother Stamper, thank you for asking me to come and to be a part of it. And uh, Brother Morgan, tremendous preaching as always. And uh, I tell you what, that was somebody said he was going to preach a sweet message tonight. That was pre- John Morgan's standards, that was pretty good. I mean, y'all know what I mean? That was pretty sweet right there, all right? I mean, there was only a few offensive things in there, and uh, that's not bad. I mean, that's pretty good right there, you know, and uh, so I thought it was great. Amen. One of my favorite John Morgan stories is when they, they told him in the, the chaplain in the jail told him he couldn't preach. He had to quit preaching on hell all the time. He needed to preach on, uh, you know, the, the sweeter things like grace and mercy and love and faith. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite John Morgan story. So he goes back the next time and he preaches on three things it's not, you're not going to find in hell. Amen. Grace and love and mercy or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, actually, I do have some John Morgan stories that I like better. I just can't tell them from the pulpit. All right. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I appreciate Brother Morgan's a friend. I can't. This is just a. Just a, a highlight tonight to be able to preach with one of my best friends and then to sing with. They ought to be the Blantons tonight is what they ought to be. I mean, I'm just being honest. They're not the Reigns. That, that's right. We got a, we got uh, how about, how about Blanton Rain or something like that? I don't know. How about Ranton? How about that? Oh, yes, I second. Black Oh man, I'm having too. I feel too much liberty in here tonight. That's not good. That's not good. Not that I say anything crazy, but I'll just preach for a long time. All right, that's the that's the problem with me when I feel liberty. But anyways, I'll try not to keep you all night. But I do want to give you a burden that's on my heart tonight. I want to start reading in verse number one, Song of Solomon, chapter five, verse one. If you hadn't found it by now, you're never going to find it. All right, so just look at whatever page you're on, and nobody will know you don't know where it's at. Okay. Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. 
I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I want to stop reading right there. And I want to preach on this thought tonight. I want to call the message, In the House. In the House. And I want you to see that the setting that is before us in our text tonight is taking place in the house. And of course, around the house, outside the house. But I want to focus on what is going on in the house. When we think about the Song of Solomon, we think about that this is the song above every song that he had ever written. According to 1 Kings chapter 4, he had uh, authored over 1,000 songs, over 3,000 proverbs. And this is the song of all songs. This is Solomon's greatest hit. This is his chart topper at the very top. And we don't know all the reasons for that other than it is inspired by the Holy Ghost of God. But when we think about what is being pictured here, when we think about really what is being what is being given to us here on the very surface, just on, on, a, on a very practical level here, it is a husband that is uh, in love with his wife. It is a wife that is in love with her husband. I'm not going to preach on that tonight, but that's really what's going on here in our text and what's going on here in this book. Uh, Husbands ought to love their wives, say amen. And wives, I know it doesn't say for wives to love their husbands, but if I could write something in the Bible, that's what I'd write, amen. Wives, love love your husbands, amen. And I tell you, I believe that uh, marriage can either be heaven on earth or it can be not heaven on earth. Say amen right there. And I like it when it's good at home. No doubt about that. And I think that's something that's right. I think that's something Brother Stamper ought to preach on sometime. Amen. I'm not going to preach on that because I want to I look at really what is, what is being pictured here in our text. And that, of course, is the great love that Christ has for His church. The Apostle Paul himself points us to something that is higher than, than, than marriage. That marriage is really just a picture. It is a gospel track of the greatest love that has ever been known. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. There is a love that surpasses the love that any husband has ever had for any wife. And that is the love that Christ has for His church. I'm glad He loves us tonight. I'm glad He loves the church. I'm glad I'm part of the church tonight. No doubt about that. And he loves us. And then within a marriage and within, of course, even our relationship with God, there is what is fellowship. There is the day-to-day fellowship. How many of you know this? If you've been married any length of time at all, and we're not going to take testimonies on this, but uh, you can just nod your head. Uh, If you've been married any length of time at all, 22 years, they're celebrating, the Morgans are. About two weeks ago, we celebrated 17 years of of marriage, and uh, and so uh, if you've been married any length of time, you know that there are days when you are so in love 
love and everything is wonderful and you are just in sync and you are in step and everything is just sunshine and roses. And then I have heard, I haven't experienced this personally, but uh, I've heard that for some people there are days when you are just out of step. It seems like there is distance. It seems like the fellowship is just not there. There's some days when, when I mean, the other, you know, they, they can do no wrong, absolutely. I mean, it's just everything is absolutely wonderful. And then there's other days when you get mad because they squeeze the toothpaste from the wrong end. There's some days when, you, I mean, it's a joy just to be around each other. Then there's other days when, when you want to be, you know, uh, could you not, you know, put the clothes in the hamper? You had to throw them right next to the hamper. You couldn't get them in the hamper. What's going on? Now, again, this isn't from experience. I, I saw this on a soap opera the other day or something. I don't know. But I've heard for some people that you can be out of fellowship and the fellowship is not there. How many of you know it's that way with our Lord as well? I'm glad relationship is settled. We are eternally loved. We are a bride that cannot and will not be divorced. Aren't you thankful for that? He ain't going to pack up and leave us, and He ain't going to kick us out. I'm thankful for that tonight. But how many of you know we're not always as close to Him as we ought to be? Sometimes that, and by the way, now in your relationship, in your marriage, listen, you're imperfect and you're married to somebody that's imperfect. But can I tell you with us and the Lord, He's always perfect. He ain't ever wrong. He don't ever have a bad day. When we are not where we ought to be with the Lord, I'm telling you what, it ain't His fault. It's our fault. And that is exactly the drama that is playing out in this text. It is an issue of fellowship. We are getting a glimpse into the ups and downs of the marital relationship. And of course it pictures our closeness or lack thereof with the Lord. In our text we have the shepherd. He's outside of the house. It's amazing. Verse number 1 is actually verse number 1 is actually a is actually an answer to a prayer. Did you know that? He said, "I am come into my garden." And I'm not preaching on that tonight. I got a message I preached at the end from the end of chapter 4 about the garden. It's like the church. And, and the prayer is at the end of chapter 4 is for that shepherd king to come into the garden. And I tell you what, don't you like it when Jesus shows up at church? I tell you what, I want him to come into the garden. And I want, listen, I don't have church without him. Amen. I want to have church when he's there. And that is a prayer. That ought to be the prayer of every member of every church is God, come in, walk through your garden, manifest your presence, come and enjoy your bride in the church. And that's what we want him to do. We have church. I don't know how y'all do it, but we pray and we want God to show up and we want God to show out and we want him to have his way in his garden. Verse 1 is an answer to a prayer. He has come into his garden. But here's what I want you to notice. He is not satisfied with just coming into the garden. He wants to come into the house. And when he comes into that garden, he is knocking on the door of the house. Uh, 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 supposedly, there's a, or obviously, there's some kind of a, a cottage inside of this garden. This garden is enclosed. So many things about the church there. I'm not going to get into all that tonight. But, but this garden is enclosed. But inside of this garden, Brother Stamper, there is a, there's a cottage. There's a little house in there. And that is where the bride is. That is where she's at. And he's not satisfied just to be in the same area as her. He wants to come into the house. Can I say it like this? 
that house is your heart. And although we love when Jesus moves in the church and we want Him to move in the church, can I tell you, He's not satisfied just moving in the church. He wants to move in your life. He wants to move in your heart. And so many times people are satisfied with just a good meeting on Sunday and they don't realize God wants to have fellowship with them on Monday and on Tuesday. Listen, it ain't just enough for Him to come in the church house. He wants to come in your house where you're at. He wants to invade your life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Saturday. I like when He meets with us on Sunday. I like when He meets with us on Revival Night. But He wants to come in the house. And that's the question. Are you going to let Him in the house? Houses are places of fellowship. That's what they are. A house is a place of fellowship. When you want to invite somebody to some closer fellowship, you invite them over to your house. You want to sit around the table. You want to get to know them just a little bit better. And this is a, an, this is a, a provocation of fellowship. He is provoking her to open up the door, let him in so that they might fellowship more closely. And I want to just let the drama unfold for us just a little bit. I'll kind of organize it with some, with some thoughts here. First of all, here's what I want you to see. Number one, I want you to see, I'm going to call it this, the sincere request. The sincere request. Do you see it in verse number 2? This Shulamite woman, she is awakened by the, by the shepherd knocking on the door. And here is the request. She says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Here it is. Open to me. Open the door. There is an obvious desire on the part of the shepherd to come into the house and to fellowship with his wife. And I can't help but think about when I read that, I couldn't help but think about Jesus speaking to even his bride there in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. You remember what he said? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open to me, I will come into him and will what? Sup with him. What is that? That's fellowship. That's supper. Let's get closer. Let's fellowship together. Let's get around the table and fellowship together. And that is what is going on. He wants her to open the door so that he might go in and fellowship with her. What a request. And why should she open the door? Why should she get up and open the door? He makes this appeal to her on several bases. There are several reasons why she ought to get up and open the door. I thought about, first of all, just His presence. There He is. Uh, just the simple fact that He's there. Just the simple fact that He's knocking on the door. That ought to be enough. She shouldn't need 40, 11 reasons why she ought to open the door. The fact that her beloved, the one that she has pledged her life to, the one that has given everything for her, the one that has committed His life to her, the one that loves her, and she says she loves in return, turn he is knocking on the door wanting to come in that ought to be enough just his presence and can I tell you when God moves in your life and he is calling you to closer fellowship with him I want to remind you who it is requesting you and who it is who it is there it is the Lord Jesus Christ we ought not to have 4011 reasons we ought not to need a funny feeling coming up our spine it's him open the door amen 
If I come home and the door's locked and I can't get in, listen, I don't want to have to show my ID. I don't want to have to show my Social Security card. I don't want to have to show my birth certificate. I don't want to have to stand outside the door and give my wife 40 reasons why she ought to open the door. She ought to open it up because it's me. And again, maybe that's why she won't open the door. I don't know. Because it's me. It's me. Don't you know who I am? Open the door. Can I tell you what? He has the right to come in him all by himself. That ought to be enough for her to get up and open the door. His presence. What about his desire? Just the simple fact that he wants to come in. Now that ought to blow our mind more than it does. The fact that the God of the universe, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of all glory, He wants to come in and fellowship with us. That ought to blow our minds. That ought to humble us tonight. Think about who are we. We're absolutely nothing. And He's absolutely everything. And the fact that He wants to come in, that ought to move us to get up, open the door. He desires it. What about His request? He's asking. That she opened the door. That ought to be enough right there. Just the simple fact that he has asked her to open the door. That should be enough in and of itself. He is there. He wants to come in. He is asking to come in. I mean, his voice. What about his voice? In fact, you'll find in the text that it is his voice that is knocking. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh. It is his word that does the knocking. It is his voice that does the knocking. That's the way it is in Revelation 3 as well. He's knocking on the door. And he said, if any man hear my voice, if any man hear my voice, it is his word, it is his voice. When you hear His voice, that ought to do something on the inside of you. That ought to move you. to want to get up and open the door. It's His voice. It ought to move us to immediate action. What about His praise? You see that? He begins to praise her and say sweet things about her. Do you see that in verse number 2? Open unto me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. Can I be honest? If I'm knocking on the door and my wife, she's not letting me in, can I be honest? I'm not going to be saying sweet things. Come on now. Now, I'm not saying I would, but I'm going to say I might be a little tempted if she's even hesitating just a little bit. Like, think it, like she's standing inside thinking about it. Should I? Should I not? I'm going to tell you, I don't know what exactly I say, but it might be, you know, hey, open the door, woman. (laughs) You old hag, what's going on? (laughs) I wouldn't say that out loud. I think I'd be a little upset, but he's not out there. He's not calling her an old hag. He's not saying, what's wrong with you, woman? He's not saying anything like that. He said, my love, my dove, my undefiled, please open the door. And can I tell you, how gracious is our Lord with us? Man, he ought to put us in hell a long time ago. Man, we have spurned him, and we have turned him down, and we have rejected him time and time again. We have spurned fellowship with him for fellowship with lesser things and temporary things. And, and selfish things and can I tell you something but yet in his grace and in his love and in his kindness he still loves us and he praises us and he reminds us what we mean to him and when he reminds us of what he thinks about us man I tell you we don't deserve that kind of love but that's the kind of love he gives that's why they call it grace I guess amen he's praising her what about 
not only his presence and his desire and his request and his voice and his praise, but what about his sacrifice? At the end of that verse, verse number 2, he says, For my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. What's implied there is it's wet outside. Maybe it's raining outside. Maybe he's, he's sitting there, he's out there sopping wet. Let me in, let me in where it's dry. Think of all that I've went through, all that I'm enduring to be at this door so that I might fellowship with you. Think of all that I've done for you. It is not comfortable for me out here. Let me come in on the inside. His sacrifice just to even move in her direction. Can I tell you, how in the world have we ever spurned his invitation for more intimate fellowship with him and we think about all that he's went through for us he has sacrificed he's literally gave it all so that he might take a bride unto himself how could we ever say no when he wants to get closer to us how could we say no but yet we do don't we what a sincere request do you see what happens in the next verse verse 3 I'm going to call it this, it's a selfish response. Not only is there a sincere request, but then secondly, there is a selfish response. Do you see that in verse 3? I've put off my coat. This is her answering from inside the house. This is her response. I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? Do you notice the nature of her response? It's all about herself it's all about her comfort it's all about her own convenience she begins to give excuses why she cannot open the door and fellowship with him at that very moment and I don't know about you but I felt a little pricked in the heart I look at her and I say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you get up and open the door? That's your beloved. That's your shepherd king. That's the one who is, uh, who is giving you everything that you have. You wouldn't even have a house if it weren't for him. But then I think about my own selfish excuses. Many times I'm more concerned about my own comfort and my own convenience than I am with closeness with him in fact I want you to know that her words they were not words of impossibility they were not it wasn't impossible she says she says I put it's, it's at night she was asleep that's what it says in verse number two she the, the knock on the door it woke her up she was already in bed she'd already put her pajamas on uh, she'd already washed her feet and she'd already got crawled in bed she was comfortable and uh, and you know listen there's some people there's some people you don't just wake you don't wake him up they're not very nice Obviously, she might have been one of them, I guess. I'm not looking at anybody. I don't know. I don't know anybody. My wife's not in here, so I don't have to worry about it. She can hear back here? Oh, man, that, that's not good. There's some people, they're not very pleasant if you wake them up. And she's not thinking clearly. I, 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 she's, not, she's only thinking about herself and her own comfort. And, and it's not words of impossibility. It's not, she said, I mean, her response would, 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 would frame it that way. I've put off my coat. How shall I put it back on? What do you mean, how do you put a coat on? You know how to put a coat on. 
If I was standing outside dropping, you know, dew and soaking wet and, and I'm knocking on the door, let me in, how, and you hear that on the outside, how shall I put my coat back on? I would say, the same way you put it on every time. One arm at a time, woman. Get that coat on, open this door. <laughs> Pastors know this, preachers know this. You hear some of the craziest excuses all the time, don't you? Well, you know, I can't come to church tonight. I got a bone in my foot or whatever, you know. Well, you got a bone in your foot. I know, we are, I, I know you have several bones in your foot, you know. I'm telling you, you hear several. <laughs> what do you mean? How shall I? I don't know what, you know. How shall I put it back on? I just think, you just put it back on. I, I've washed my feet. I don't want to get them dirty again. I think I would, again, I'm the mean husband. Jesus is the, is the good one, all right. He's nice. I'm the mean one. I think I would have been like, you don't want to get your feet. Well, you should have cleaned the floor, woman. Amen. You just, you'd have swept the floor before you went to bed. You wouldn't have to worry about that. Amen. I'm getting a little bold. You sure she can hear back here? All right. It's not good. These are they sound like words of impossibility. It sounds like it sounds like she can't, like it's it's out of her control. There's nothing I can do. I've, you know, I've already took my robe off. There's nothing I can do. I've already washed my feet. Nothing. I can't do nothing about it. I wish I could, but it's not up to me. But listen, you know, and I know, and we know in our heart of hearts that we are as close to God as we want to be. These are not words of impossibility. These are words of inconvenience. It is not impossible to put your coat back on. It is just inconvenient to put your coat back on. It's not impossible to get your feet dirty and have to wash them again before you get in the bed. Uh, listen, it is just inconvenient to do so. And can I tell you, getting close to God is inconvenient. Revival is inconvenient. Fellowship with God, you'll find this flesh will make sure that you realize it is most inconvenient. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not impossible. This woman didn't have a coat problem. She didn't have a foot problem. This woman had a heart problem is all it was. And can I tell you what we have? It is a heart problem when we don't want to fellowship with God. When He is prompting us and provoking us and inviting us and calling to us and we answer with excuses and responses like this, there's something wrong with our heart. Something wrong with our hearts. It's a heart problem. There's something wrong with this, heart, this girl's heart. I'm not saying she's wicked. I'm not saying she's got, a, got a, 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 another lover on the side somewhere. All I'm saying is her heart isn't as tender and sensitive to her beloved as it ought to be. I think we can all make the application there to our life. We know what we're talking about tonight. I'm not saying you're out in some, you're out in some gross immorality. I'm not saying anything like that. But when he prompts you for closer fellowship, and all you think about, well, what are people going to think? Or, what, you know, well, I just, you know, the time and the money and, the, and, the, and whatever, whatever we think about, just give excuses. And, I, and you know this and I know this, that 99.99999% of the time, when we say I can't, what we really mean is I don't want to. You know it's true. I know it's true. We see the sincere request. We see the selfish response. I want you to see the sad result. Do you see what happens? He withdraws. I'm not going to go through all of it here, but it starts in verse number 4 and 5. 
She, she's finally stirred. She sees his hand. That hand, I'm not going to preach on it tonight, but that hand stirs her up. She remembers the time that hand has provided for her and comforted her and, and protected her and all that. And when he see, she saw his hand, it did something to her. But she finally gets up and opened the door and she finds out, verse 6, that he had withdrawn himself. You know what this reminds us of? This ought to remind us tonight that there are seasons to fellowship. There is sensitivity in fellowship. There is sovereignty to fellowship. Listen, this thing is up to Him. You're not just going to do everything you want to do and you want to do it. It's not just all up to you. This is not a one-sided relationship. Listen, you are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know anything about Him, we just heard about it. We just heard it preached tonight that He has feelings. Jesus has feelings. Now that's, that, that's a two-way street. That's good. When you're grieved, He's grieved. But you know what that also means? That also means when He's rejected, there's feelings. You know, the Holy Ghost has sensitivities. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy... You know what grief is? Grief is when there is sadness that leads to a withdrawing. If you've ever gone through deep seasons of grief, there is a withdrawal. You don't want to be around other people. And I'll tell you, something that brings, about, uh, brings on grief more than anything is many times it's rejection. To be rejected by and turned down by the very people that, that you thought would never reject you like that. Rejection can bring on deep grief. Now, our Savior's perfect. He doesn't throw pity parties in heaven. Please don't, Please don't misunderstand me tonight. But what I am saying, I'm saying if you spurn the invitation to fellowship with Him and then you expect Him just to, just to just sit there and just to stand there and wait on you to feel like getting up and opening the door, I'm here to tell you, you may not find it that way in your Christian life. The Holy Spirit can be grieved in your life. And while she's all thinking about just her feelings and how she feels and what's good for her, she forgets the fact that he's got feelings too. And I tell you, 99% of the church members I've... Well, that ain't right. 99%. That ain't true. But a lot of church members I've been around, man, they're all time concerned about their feelings and what they feel. I tell you, have we ever stopped to think about, what, what about him? What about him? He's got feelings too. She rejects him. He withdraws. This leads her out of the house finally. She sought him, verse 6, could not find him. She called him, but he gave no answer. She leaves the garden. She goes out into the streets of the city. And it's there in verse number 7 that we find the watchman that went about the city. She says, they found me, they smote me, they wounded me, the keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I don't know exactly everything that has taken place in verse number 7, but I know it's not good. This is not pleasant. This is not happy. She is, she is violated. Uh, she is victimized. Uh, uh, she is viciously attacked even by people that are supposed to watch out for her. The watchman, and there's, there's a message in that in the watchman in this, in, this, in this text and in this book, actually. The very people that are supposed to protect her, they are the ones that wound her and hurt her. And she is laying in the streets of this city. She is wounded. 
and she is hurt, and she is full of regret, and she is full of shame. And I am no way saying that everything that's taking place here is all her fault. These watchmen are very much at fault. But here's what I am saying. I am saying this, that her shame and her regret and her embarrassment and her agony and her pain and her woundedness, they are directly related and correlated to her response. I'm just here to tell you, if she would have got up and opened the door, she wouldn't have been laying in the streets of the city in this condition like this. And I don't know about you, I can't speak for everybody in here tonight, but I will tell you this, the times where I found myself wounded and embarrassed and ashamed and full of regret, 99% of the time they're all connected to my lack of fellowship with God. When I was not where I should be, when I was not fellowship, when I had spurned the invitation and I was not in fellowship with God where I should have been, it only leads to regret, it only leads to heartache, it only leads to heartbreak, and it only leads to shame and embarrassment. The safest place that you'll ever be is in the arms of your beloved in fellowship with Him. What a sad result that we have here fellowship is that important saying yes is that important there's a sincere request there's a selfish response there's a sad result i can't i can't leave you off right here all right i'm going to skip a little bit and i'm going to jump down into chapter number six because i have to show you this because listen we're we're, we're not, the story isn't over i'm glad to tell you that there is a sweet reunion that takes place in chapter number 6, and the story doesn't end there, and I don't have time to get on all of it, but in chapter number 6, they're back together. In verse number 4, he's praising her. She is in the presence of her shepherd. There is a sweet reunion that takes place, and I just want to make this observation here that failure is not final with God. I'm so thankful that there is grace, and I'm thankful that there is mercy, and I'm glad that there is love, and although it was a rugged road, and it was a rough trail that she had to go through, to get back in fellowship with Him. I'm glad it's always possible. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? You say, I've done too much. I've gone too far. Oh, contrary, mon frere. Amen. I am so thankful that we have a loving shepherd. We have a kind shepherd. And He embraces us even when we break His heart. What a gracious God we have. What's amazing is she began to move back in His direction. You know, I think I read somewhere in the Bible where it said, Draw not a God. And he'll what? He'll draw nigh to you. You start taking your little steps toward him. He'll start taking some big steps toward you. And I'm so thankful that there is sweet reunion and restoration of fellowship. It is possible. And here's what is the most amazing thing is in verse number 2, she's asked. Verse 1, she's asked where he's at. And verse number 2, she knew right where he was. She said, my, she said, my beloved is gone down into his garden. She knew where he was. Where was he at? He was right where she left him. He was in the garden. He never left the garden. How about that? He never had left the garden. Even though he was silent when she was calling for him, he had never left the garden. And can I tell you, when you call and you get no answer, don't go out into this world. Stay right in the garden. Stay in the church. Stay right where you saw him last. He'll be back around shortly. I promise you that. Listen, he's right. Wherever you got off track, get back on track. Go back to the church. Go back to the garden and find out where you left him. 
he was right where she left him. And I like what she says in verse 3. Even before the reunion takes place in verse 3, she said, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She never forgot whose she was. Listen, it don't matter who we are. What matters is whose we are. And she knew who she belonged to. She knew that he belonged. She said, I'm not where I ought to be. I've made a mistake. I've messed up. No doubt about it. But I do know this fact beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves me and I love him. And no matter what I've done, I belong to him. And he belongs to me and I'm telling you what don't you ever forget that fact listen I don't care what you've done or where, how far you've gone listen you don't belong to this world you still belong to him move in his direction get back to where you left him and enjoy his fellowship once again and don't forget when he comes back to the house knocks on the door why don't you avoid all that by just getting up? So I'm sleepy. Get up! I ain't got a coat on. Get up anyway. I'm going to get my feet dirty. Get up anyway. Open the door. Because I promise you, friend, fellowship with Him is always worth it. It's always the greatest thing. How many times have you, have you made the effort to get to revival or you made the sacrifice to give a little only to look back and say, why did I ever struggle? Why did I ever struggle with it? The fellowship and communion and the blessing of just being with Him so much greater than any supposed sacrifice. It's never a sacrifice to be with Him. It's always a glorious invitation and a glory, a grand. The songwriter said it's a grand and glorious feeling just to be walking and to be talking with my king. I tell you what, a grand and glorious feeling it is to fellowship with him. The question is will you let him in the house? Will you let him in the house? Let's stand together all over the building. Father. I pray that you take this message tonight. I pray that you'd use it for your glory. I don't care how long one has been saved. I don't care how long they've been in a relationship with you. Lord, we know there are times of distance. There are times of separation. And Father, I pray that you would call unto your bride here in this place. Remind them that fellowship with you is the greatest thing that they could ever experience this side of heaven. In fact, it's so great that that's what heaven's going to be. It's going to be eternal fellowship with you. And Lord, if there's somebody here that feels like they've blown it, they feel like they've gone too far, they've messed it up, Lord, I pray that you'd come to them with grace and mercy and, and let them realize that fellowship and restoration is possible. Lord, we thank you for your sweet forgiveness. God, remind us of these truths tonight. May we willingly get up, open the door tonight. May somebody in here be willing to get up and open the door. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.